Welcome everybody. My name is Kai Hoffman. I'm the CEO of the Financial Group. This is episode 33 of SF Live. I'm joined by Paul Benson today. He's the CEO and president of SSR Mining. Not for much longer, but he he, he is right now. Um, I'm going to switch over to Paul in just one second. Just a quick reminder, you've, see, you've seen the button come up already. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow us here on Twitter. Use hashtag AskSSRM for your questions during our live conversation with Paul. And uh, we'll get to those at the end of our quick uh, chat bit here. And uh, now I have the honor and the pleasure to switch over to Mr. Paul Benson. Paul, thank you for joining us. I know it's busy times right now. How are you doing? Yeah, no, very well. And thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. I think it's really timely. And uh, you just announced a merger last week. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. I'm sure you got uh, lots of phone calls and, and, and stuff to do besides chatting with us. Um, but let, let's dive right in. The merger with the lesser gold, creating a new 4 billion US. I don't, I don't even know what's in Canadian dollars, probably a couple trillion or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, that, that's caused quite a stir in the market. And uh, we need to dive into those details. Um, but before we talk about the deal itself, how has COVID impacted the deal making process? I'm quite curious about that. Yeah, we were very lucky um, in terms of timing. So uh, we started discussions back in November last year. That was um, CEO to CEO. January, we brought the chairman in. Um, and so we at that point, we agreed that, um, you know, we'd sign CA, look at technical data. We then organized um, site visits and that was key. Um, we, our team, including me uh, and the chairman went across to Turkey. Um, we left BMO and uh, avoided PDAC. So we didn't go to PDAC this year. Um, so as it was starting to get headlines in, but we were back in country before really anything um, happened and they'd been to our sites as well. So through pure good luck, uh, we managed to get the physical uh, site visits in before the lockdown. Um, and then obviously continued with data access after that. But yeah, I think good luck more than good planning, but yeah, you always take luck when you get it. <laughs> no, that, that's a really interesting short time period. When you started talking in November, you had Christmas and the break and everything, of course. And then uh, you, you come to a decision mid-February pretty much because you, you sort of knew where it was going yeah. even before you do the side visits, obviously, because you do some planning, right? So um, yeah. still a fairly we, short we hadn't, we hadn't agreed that the deal would go ahead. By February, what we'd agreed is that based on the public domain information, we knew enough about each other to say, theoretically, if what we see on the ground and what we see in due diligence stacks up, then yes, we can make this work. Um, but you know, really it was only you know, um, you know, two weeks ago that we um, got to the finish line and saying, yep, we both want to press the button. Yeah, I was exchanging uh, emails with your uh, VP of IR, Michael, here, and uh, it was like he was working over the COVID week, and I was like, oh, I felt sorry for him. So those deals yeah. always take a lot of time and are stressful, right? So um, let, let's talk about the deal terms and, it, themselves. Uh, do you want to run us through those? Sure. So um, this is a, a zero premium merger of equals, and that to me is the most important thing. Um, you know, we've all seen through the you know, history of mining that um, there's fantastic value destruction for shareholders of the takeover, com the company doing the takeover when they offer a large premium. So part of the discussion we had early on, this will only work if zero premium um, and that if there's not a large movement of value from one to another. So this is a relative valuation exercise that we looked at in part. Um, so the relative PNAVs of the um, two companies, priced NAV, was approximately similar, um, which I, th I think is great. You know, the deals where you see um, a big premium, normally it evaporates on day one as the hedge funds come in and short the, um, the company doing the takeover and go long the, the target. Um, and so shareholders don't benefit, but you're issuing more shares. So that, that was key. Um, 
and we were keeping an eye from you know early you know January on each other's share prices. And luckily, although there were a few divergences, they went more or less in line. And so there was that still good parity between the the two um, companies. Obviously, if one had diverged up or down at the time, you know, we couldn't have pressed the go button. But pleasingly, we finished around the same place. So based on the two market caps at the time. Um, the, the shareholder split will issue shares to Alice shareholders and it'll end up being 57 SSR, 43 Alice shareholders. So in terms of the actual mechanism, we'll give, what was it, 0.3246 SSR shares for every uh, Alice share. Okay. No, that, that deal, like, one thing I wanted to get at, like the feedback and when I first saw the deal, without knowing anything about Alessar, there's a company I've, I haven't followed at all, to be honest, I uh, was like, oh, Turkey. Interesting. So what's the feedback you've been getting on that side, on that front? Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, sort of uh, interesting. Uh, there's a good shareholder overlap between the two companies. Um, I think in the um, our top 20 shareholders have just under 50% of us and those same shareholders have below 30% of them. The nice thing is that there are very few funds that are long in both. So there's not an issue where joining the two together, they start to worry about getting too big. Yeah, the only one who's big in both is the ETF and they, they just follow the index. But an example, BlackRock, their larger shareholder, only has a small position in us. So joining the two isn't a worry for them. I think really what you, we found was that there'd be some um, shareholders here who, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, don't follow Turkey closely and maybe only get, you know, their view from some headlines they read, you know, in the press about, you know, company X having problems, yep. you know, um, um, you know, moving their project forward. And for me, you know, it's quite a simple process to explain. Turkey is the same as, you know, Canada, US, Argentina, Australia is regional or provincial. Um, uh, Alice's um, project is about 2,000 kilometres east of Istanbul, um, central, middle, uh, eastern part of the country. Uh, very isolated area, small village nearby, and they love it because they've got good paying jobs out of this mine. Um, they've been, Alice have been operating in country, or they've had a presence in country for 20 years. They've been operating the mine for 10. So they know how to do business there. So, you know, just as, uh, just as um, you know, in the US, you couldn't build a gold mine in San Francisco Harbour, but you can in Nevada. Yeah. So once once we explain that, I think there's you know people people understand that. Interesting. And the political risk has been a factor at all, like because because at a time like two three years ago, nobody would touch Turkey with a ten foot pole. Yeah, and during all that time, Alistair were doing incredibly well over there. Yeah, it's a very yeah. pro business um, government. Yeah, they've they've you know done very well attracting foreign investment you know from the early 2000s um so obviously the market takes it into account in different ways through you know higher discount rates etc but you know we're comfortable with that with that exposure yeah and that's why you you're actually getting the premium like you you've been rated at a ranked at a premium you're getting the 57 percent of the deal no, no, probably because of that so political not, risk as well that's not a premium that's just the relative oh, weightings of the market cap so no, zero um, premium both sides it's just that we're a bigger company that's why we end up with more of the shares no, no, what I meant at it, because I think I looked at the combined portfolio, I think Chupler's going to make 48% of the overall production portfolio, but they're getting 43% of the deal. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's what and, I meant, and, sorry, in that regard. No, so. no, that's all right. But think about it is that's their single asset. We have assets in our portfolio that aren't producing, but still are valuable. You know, so yeah. San Luis in Peru and uh, Pitaria in Mexico, two examples. They don't uh, produce anything at the moment. They're both development projects, but they have value. 
Okay. Now we're going to talk about organic growth potential because that's one from a big one for me as well. Like where's where's the new SSR mining going from here? Obviously, um, the combination is creating a, a beast in the market. You got seven hundred million US, which is over a billion Canadian or roughly a billion Canadian in cash. Um, what, what's the plan with that money? <laughs> We've had that conversation yeah. on the SSR level before, but uh, now it's seven hundred yeah. million. We, uh, you know, BMO this year, I uh, indicated that we were, as a standalone company, SSI, getting to the point where we would um, be, you know, d having the discussions aboard about a capital return to shareholders. Uh, we'd got through the, um, the capital investments the last couple of years. We weren't sure whether we needed um, to invest more at Marigold to bring in the red dot reserves. Pleasingly, we didn't. So we were just looking at sort of a normal run rate on capital. So we were getting ready to you know, look at a capital return to shareholders. Similarly, um, Alice, and now that they've built the um, POX plant, they're up and running, they were also doing it. So you just say, you know, now it's you know, even more likely. So I think, you know, that um, if you look on the announcement uh, presentation, it's on page eight, it's pretty phenomenal. You see the two individual companies and we move up the league table in terms of production, but and but we're still in that sort of three three quarters of the way along. But when you look at cash flow, um, we're second best there. And that's yeah. really just because the margin per ounce is so high. So we are in, you know, I think the most enviable position um, in the in our Part of the industry you know best in class balance sheet to begin with so you already start you know ahead of the start line and then cash flow generation from there on so i think no matter what you know the company will be able to have a capital return policy and fund any greenfields or internal um growth options but also perfectly positioned to look externally and you know there are a couple in these sorts of deals there are very few hard synergies as in you know dollars going out the door really it's just you know senior executives um you know salaries and that as you reduce that head count and on the board that that's real but i think the soft synergies are more important and one of them is the skill sets you know alice would bring the pressure oxidation we bring the underground mining so there isn't an ore body on the planet that we should be afraid of you know in terms yeah. of um, historically as a company if anyone brought along a um, refractory ore body would say, sorry, we don't know what to do with it. You know, you have to give it to someone else. So now, you know, anything underground, refractory, open pit, uh, flotation, you name it, we can do it. That's interesting. Cause you, you, okay, you mentioned growth potential and uh, you, you mentioned a couple of assets you, you got in South America. Let, let's let's talk about that first. And um, we're going to go, no, no, wait, I got to ask one question first before I forget about it. Um, yeah. the, you sold your shares in Silvercrest the other day. Is that yep. included in the 700 million combined cash? The 700 million on the Monday, the title was cash and marketable securities, Got it. of okay. which most was uh, Silvercrest. Silvercrest is the only company we've actually gone out and bought securities in. We do have others that we've inherited when we've um, sold an expiration property to a junior and we've picked up their shares. So there's still some, but the majority, about 100, uh, it's 90 million Canadian, moved from marketable securities into cash. cash. Got it. Yep. Okay, cool. Let's talk about growth potential, organic growth yep. potential. Let's talk about your assets and you put out some exploration results this week as well. Um, let's yep. talk about those. Sure. Um, so, you know, probably the most exciting in terms of headline number, Marigold. Um, you know, Marigold's an amazing mine. You know, if you look through our standard presentations, got a lot of history there. Um, Marigold opened in 1989 with an eight year mine life. And last year celebrated its 30th year of continuous production. So well outlasted the original plan. And at the beginning of this year, had a 12 year mine life. 
And last year, we bought the property to the south, um, Trenton Canyon and Buffalo Valley, and that doubled our land position. So our focus on exploration is moving further south now. When we bought it, you know, we explained the, um, the, we could justify it internally purely on the oxide material. So oxide is what we process at Marigold through a dump leach operation. So our valuation was based purely on that, but we did point to the potential for sulphide or refractory gold at depth, similar that you find in Nevada. And one of the drill holes um, that we put out on Friday, uh, Thursday night was like 90 metres at uh, five grams uh, refractory. Um, okay. That for a first lot of drilling, that's fantastic. But yeah, th that part of it is a long game. You know, I've said all the way along, we'll be happy to spend two plus million dollars a year for five years to see what's going on there. Um, really good exploration um, team down there. And what they're doing is putting, uh, we put a deep hole down one and a half kilometres of core. Um, so that other poll I talked about was RC, um, reverse circulation, but the core hole really is going to be a Rosetta Stone for us to help us understand the lithology. And next we're doing is seismic, which we've never done before. And the idea of seismic is that you can look over the entire stri strike of the property and by using that core to understand what each lithology looks like on the seismic, hopefully see where the really receptive formation, the comas formation is, where it moves up and down, and then look for structures on that, which could be possible gold-bearing fluid um, conduits. So, yeah, a lot of good good stuff there. Um, just worth noting that if we find anything that's refractory, the um, technology that Alisa brings is the process you'd use. We don't know how to do that. So, yeah. great. Yeah, you you just city. took my comment away because I was going to say you just sort of bought that in-house or you just uh, got that expertise in-house because yeah. you mentioned okay. that like two minutes ago. So, okay, that's, pretend uh... I did science. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, no, that's a great comment because yeah. that takes a lot of – like pe people are scared of refractory ore, obviously, for obvious yeah. reasons. It's more expensive. It's more difficult to process. CapEx usually is quite expensive, but uh, pox or pressure oxidation is not that bad, actually. So yeah. um, it works quite well. Um, and then we had the exploration results up at CB, which were, again, some nice grades there. That's we made a, The main ore body is called Santoy. A couple of years ago, we made a discovery of the um, what's called a gap hanging wall. It's a different zone of mineralization, about 200 metres in the hanging wall of the main ore body. And the holes we indicated in this last press release are interesting because they're about 200 metres below where we had the last resource that we put out uh, in February. So again, just indicating potential to extend that. So a good news story there as well. Now, just circle back to uh, to Marigold, like what's the exploration yep. project moving forward? What's the plan? Any, anything yep. in bu budgeted yet? So, th so this year, uh, calendar year, we've budgeted 10 million US, which is a record for us down there. Um, so that's a you know, reasonable amount of money. Um, and 80% is on oxide, both on our property and on the new property, Trenton Canyon. Um, and two, uh, 20% or $2 million is on that sulphide exploration. Now, you know, you set those budgets at the beginning or at the end of last year. Um, you know, if we start to see, um, you know, good results, we can obviously, with our balance sheet, accelerate that. You could easily throw a lot more money over it. You know, the trick in exploration, it's, a, it's an art more than a science in terms of how quickly should you spend yeah, you know, I, I said before we'll spend two million a year on sulphide exploration for five years, ten million dollars. That's more efficient, and you get a better result than spending ten million dollars in one year. You know, um, you've got to drill, interpret, figure out what you know, understand what information you're getting. But that doesn't mean you can't you know increase that spend from two to four to more if you're starting to get good results. No, no it's uh, Osisco style drilling with twenty six drills is is possible, but 
doesn't always make sense. It depends on the yeah. deposit, right? So an inter interpretation of it. Um, one, one point I found on your slide three of the investor presentation for the, for the merger, and uh, you, you put it at the bottom, and I almost think it's the, the main reason for the merger as well as market presence. Okay, um, I've had that conversation at BMO a year ago with a group and said, uh, oh, we're looking at maybe structuring a new deal, but it's got to be immediately ETF relevant. Okay, yeah. so like for me, market presence is probably one of the main drivers, like in per my perception of, of your merger. But like, why is it only ranked at the bottom of your of your chart there? Should it be at the top or how do you perceive it? I th you know, I think every one of those, you could mount an argument for putting it um, at the top. I think one issue is that people don't like the argument getting big uh, growth for the sake uh, you know for size size for size sake um and that used to be in the bad old days you know the mantra that you know someone would do a takeover and they just show the graph of production going up but what they didn't show the graph of cost going up at the same time so there was very little margin expansion i think what we're talking about here is um how markets are working today and you've seen it you know in sort of this run-up in the gold price the money initially of the generals goes to Barrick and Newmont. That's it. It doesn't trickle down. And then once they sort of their valuations start to reach upper levels, then the money st uh, starts to come down. One of those stocks get, you know, I don't want to say overvalued, but highly priced. But also as the generalists start to get more comfortable with the gold market, you know, this time it's different. You know, they've been burnt a couple of times in recent years. So they move further down. But you've got to be relevant. You've got to be on, you know, be out there. So uh, on that... Um, page before you know i indicated on the page eight where it looks at the cash flows you know we move up ahead b ahead of b2 and b2 has certainly been the poster child for the canadian market you know and if we could get their pnav rating you know you'd see a continued you know, significant increase in our share price so that's um yeah becoming relevant more brokers cover us um the word gets out um so yeah no i think there is certainly an argument it could have gone first yeah, no, fantastic. Let, let's switch over to Twitter because uh, we got a, quite a few questions that I wanted to ask as well. Um, yep. Some of them are the obvious ones like Silvercrest. And we're going to get to that one. But also, what are your next steps? And we're going to answer that one. I've seen some of the questions already come in. So um, our followers or viewers can actually see the questions. You can. I'm just going to read them to you, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but uh, I promise there's nothing bad from what I've seen in there. So um so why did SSR elect to dispose of its uh, Silvercrest shares when it did? And uh, especially with a potential rise in precious metal prices, especially today, silver stocks have been, you know, running. And yeah. uh, I think Silvercrest hit a 52 yep. week high this morning. So, sure. um, so we'd always said um, we would, um, you know, our strategy around that stake was to maximize share, um, the value for our shareholders. And we've done incredibly well out of it. Our average entry price was um, 3.91 Canadian and we exited at 10. So didn't quite triple our money, but did well, but didn't sell at a discount to market. Um, we'd made up our mind we were going to sell. We we're just waiting for volume to come in the market. Now we sold on Thursday. If someone um, from your audience had emailed me um, Thursday and said the price is going to go up 5% Friday, I might have waited. Um, but we don't We don't try and pick up, uh, pick up the... Um, um, you know, the um, daily movements in uh, commodity prices. Our share price actually went up more than Silvercrest on Friday. So, you know, uh, our valuation, we, you know, we also still have silver exposure um, with Puna and Pitaria. 
Um, so we were comfortable. You know, we've done incredibly well out of it. But you know, no Monday morning quarterbacking to figure out <laughs> did you get the absolute best. We're all on Friday. We were at a ten-year high, not a fifty-two-week high. Um, so it was good. No, no, it's just like I think investment-wise, you've done really, really well, and uh, you, you obviously made the investment for a reason. Were you ever considering buying Silvercrest? Yeah, our preference. That was our first strategic stake. Our preference was always to go into the project. Um, Eric Fear, the chairman, um, uh, wouldn't let us. You know, he, <laughs> he was in control of his destiny, um, and we got on incredibly well. Um, you know, this has been a you know win-win situation. You know, our preference was to go in at the lower level. We couldn't into the project, so we took the equity stake. We, you know, in a way protected them, you know, from takeover, but we also. Um, helped lift their balance sheet. So they're now in a position to you know, fund that project going forward. Um, so it was a win-win. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, early, early on, you know, I think, yes, we uh, considered it, but the share price, you know, always was running, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say ahead of itself, but it had good momentum. So, you know, there was no room that we could see to put a premium, you know, on top of the then share price. Yeah, the market cap is 1.4 billion Canadian right now. It's crazy. Yeah. But good, it's like I know Eric personally as well. I'm quite happy for him to to, to leave a legacy there. So that's fantastic. Um, so we've got a couple more questions in, and it's some you sort of hinted at already, or we sort of briefly spoke about. And the question is: the recent Trent and Kenyan drill results came up with some significant sulfide intercepts. We talked about that. Um, does SSRM foresee a transition to mining sulfides on their Nevada properties in the not too distant future? We've sort of talked about that. Yeah, uh, the only thing I'd qualify is never going to be in the not too distant future, which implies soon, you know, nothing happens in Nevada quickly. Um, <laughs> and we've got a couple of years worth of drilling on that. So, you know, you know, in your wildest dreams, I say that would be something five plus years out. And you haven't even uh, started permitting yet. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Right. So, um, okay. And if so, are you considering further acquisitions and adjacent properties to Trenton Canyon slash Marigold? And uh, would you look to consolidate uh, land close to Newmont's nearby Phoenix Mill in order to take advantage of infrastructure and uh, potential upside in the in the region? Well, we've continued to increase our land position there. We bought Marigold in um, 2014. We bought the adjoining property Valmy off um, Newmont in 15, and then we bought. Um, Trenton Canyon and um, Buffalo Valley last year. Um, and we bought some small pockets of land which were hidden in between of those as well off private shareholders. Um, so we continue to look. Um, but, you know, at the moment, I think we've got our hands full for a few years. We, and remember, we've doubled our land position. Um, Marigold's gone for 30 years on its block. No. Um, we got 12 years just on the Marigold and Valmy reserves. And so, yeah, the geologists have a few years ahead of them to um, uh, roll that out. Fantastic. So we, we, we covered Twitter, we covered some of the questions. Silvercrest obviously was a topic. Um, now let's talk about you personally. What are you, what are your plans moving forward? People have been excited or have asked me, it's like, oh, you got to ask Paul, like, what are his next steps? Can we invest in his next company? Uh, my, my, my idea was, are you becoming a fund manager after the successful investment in Silvercrest or what, what are the plans? Um, yeah, I, I got a few questions on the Monday after the announcement. I'd um, I didn't mention what I was doing. Um, I thought it would come up as a question. And when no one asked a question, I thought, well, no one's interested. So it didn't matter. I didn't bother raising it. And then with a few follow-up phone calls with shareholders, they were worried you know, because I didn't talk about it. So from that point on, I was very clear. Um, for me, um, this is important. There should be um, consolidation in the intermediate space. There are way too many intermediate gold companies, too many CEOs earning too much money. Um, 
And I said, from our perspective, we will look for anything from MOEs right down to um, greenfields exploration projects. I, we've looked, you know, out of the 30 or so intermediates, probably 20 we wouldn't think about, you know, we considered as a fatal flaw or something, but of the other 10, you know, I've had a couple of conversations with CEOs saying, how about we consider an MOE? And generally the reply is along the lines of fine, as long as I keep the top job, our board stays the same, the company name stays the same, and our head office doesn't move. And saying that's not a recipe for you know, any sort of you know, useful conversation. So when uh, I met with Rod in November last year, and we just started to sound each other out, we agreed up front, let's have a framework that we don't have to argue about later. So, so CEO from one company, um, chairman from the other, split the board down the middle and then pick the best management team coming out of that. Perfect. Um, quite early on, I formed the view that Rod was the best place to take the company forward. He could do a better job than me. Um, reason being is one, he's built this technical team and they mostly come out of Rio, you know, who built the POX technology. Um, but more importantly, the, you know, the relationships in Turkey, you know, they've been operating, they've been in country 20 years, they've been operating for 10. And in any country, those, you know, relationships through government, through communities, but importantly there, they also have a joint venture partner, 20% owner of the uh, joint venture, Chalik Holdings. Um, he, he brings all of that. Um, and he's also, you know, he's similar background to me, he worked in a big company, he worked at Rio, I worked at BHP, similar sort of culture and view of how you add value to mining. So I felt very comfortable that I was leaving it in safe hands. So for me, it was a matter of sort of principle and integrity to be able to say, I you know, should be able to say, I'll step away. Um, we shouldn't let my job get in the way of evaluating merger. A couple of shareholders said, well, are you going on the board? And I said, no, again, for a matter of principle, I wouldn't be independent. And I know the last thing a CEO needs is a former CEO sitting on the board whispering uh, in, their, in their ear. I say that sort of the one sort of final bit for me, which is important, you've seen too many um, uh, transactions where the departing CEO steals some of the furniture you know, in terms of a spin out or a royalty stream. I said, yeah, you know, that's not, that's taking value from shareholders. Yeah. For me, clean exit, I will remain a shareholder. I'll be cheering from the sidelines. Um, but, you know, Rod will be leading the company going forward. And I think, you know, that's something I can be very proud of, of how my part in the evolution of the company. But the company's been around for 70 years. I've been here for five, and hopefully it'll be for another 70 after that. I'll be, you know, one one name on the, the board. In terms of what I'm going to do next, um, I've always said this is probably my last exec role. Um, and I wouldn't be a fund manager in a billion years. You know, <laughs> I, I, we, were, we were lucky with um, Silvercrest. So, um you know, um, I'm going to take a break. My wife and I, if they lift the restrictions, are going to drive from Vancouver to Fogo Island over in the east, um, and then we'll see what happens after that. No, fantastic. No, that's great. That's a great note to end on, I think, as well, because we've sort of hit our time limit. We're trying to keep it around 25 minutes. So, yep. Paul, I really appreciate you coming on, clarifying a few things regarding the merger and coming steps for the company as well. And, of course, Silvercrest has always been a, a big question mark. Some, some investors were quite happy you, you weren't going to bite that billion-dollar uh, you know, chunk out of, uh, out of the market there. So yep. I'd love to have you come on a Finfoot panel once you're truly independent because uh, your market insights are fantastic. We've had great conversations in the past. So I'd love to have love you come on again. Uh, once your hands are your handcuffs are taken off and um, i really appreciate you taking the time today and please stay safe and uh, good luck with closing the deal thanks very much cheers have a good day